hey, welcome to Northridge Church. We are, we're honored to have you here this morning. We're thrilled that you are hanging out with us. Uh, welcome to those of you at our physical locations and those of you on our online campus. We're grateful to have you here this morning. And, you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've been navigating some really difficult waters. We've been having some tense and controversial conversations, and, and really they all swirl around one simple question. Who am I? Where do I come from? What's my purpose here on earth? They all tie to our identity. And so we've been navigating this series trying to discover where our true identity comes from. And so we go back to two weeks ago, week one, we, we kind of built a, a biblical foundation for all of us where we can locate our true identity. And it, it goes to the beginning of your Bible, right? In the beginning, God created. And out of God as creator, we recognize that we are his creation, that God is the potter and we are the clay. And so he is the one molding us, shaping us, and ultimately God should have a say and who we are. But in this journey of discovering who we are, we have to navigate the lies of the enemy. Because one of his greatest weapons against us are just his lies. And what he wants to do is just repeat those lies over and over and over again until somebody, someone buys it, believes it, lives it, shares it. And all of those lies attack that biblical foundation where the enemy wants to get you to come to this conclusion that God isn't the potter of your life, you are. That the only person who really should dictate and, and, and lead you to who you are is you. And that fleshes out in two lies. The first one we looked at last week, it's that I get to decide the value of life. That when it comes to deeming who's valuable and who's not, those decisions aren't up to God, they are up to me and you. And this week, we're going to navigate another difficult conversation, controversial conversation, and it all ties around this lie. To truly understand who I am, I must look within. I am the potter. God is not. I am the one, the only one who can truly answer the question, who am I? And what's fascinating is if you study culture, you will see this slow progression of our culture buying the enemy's lies, of society slowly dripping towards this way. In fact, if you go back to 2015, Crossway did a study only eight, seven years ago, and look at the results of the study. It says this, a survey in 2015 found that 91% of adults in the United States agreed that the best way to find yourself is by looking within yourself, right? That the only person who can answer that question, who am I, is, is me or you. And it leads to this, this, this point, right? This, this moment where we've come to this conclusion that you and I are the central source of our identity, that we get to decide. Our thoughts, how we feel, how our mind works, that nobody else has the authority to tell me or you how we define ourselves or how they, can, they can't speak into who we truly are. And what's crazy is if you know this lie, you'll see it everywhere in our culture. You'll see it all over and it seems harmless. Let me just show you one place, one place that I'm very familiar with with my young kids, Disney movies. 
Now, before I share these with you, listen, I'm not telling anybody to boycott Disney or you know, do anything. Like Our family watches Disney movies. And so, but what I want you to listen to in just this small example is the use and the yours in some of these Disney movies. One of my favorite, Mulan, it says this, believe you can, then you will. Snow White, she says, you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. Merida from Brave, you control your destiny. Pocahontas says, listen with your heart and you will understand. The Incredible says, your your identity is your most valuable possession. Protect it. Pinocchio, always let your conscience be your guide. And so all throughout society, this is the truth, right? You are the one, you're. And what's happened is it seems harmless. It's everywhere. It's not that big of a deal. But this harmless message or seemingly harmless message has effects. It has effects on my life and your life. It has effects on our kids' lives, our schools, our culture, our workplaces, our society, our entertainment. And what does the enemy want to do? He just wants to get each and every one of us to repeat the lie. Because if we repeat the lie, we believe the lie, and then we start living the lie. And the results of this lie impact the deepest parts of our lives. It affects the way we answer that question, who am I? It affects the value that I find in myself and in you. It affects the way we see ourselves and and the way we feel about ourselves. And the way we have seen this lie pan out over our culture is tied to gender. You see, in our culture today, we believe that we get to decide which gender we should be, how we express ourselves. And so today, we're going to tackle this hard and difficult and controversial topic. And the one thing you need to know about Northridge is we don't run away from heart. We don't run away from controversial because we believe the Bible speaks to every nook and cranny of our lives. And so we're going to tackle this topic of gender identity. But before we do that, I want you to know a couple things up front. The first thing I want you to know is that if you define yourself as transgender or non-binary, man, I just want you to know we are so glad that you are here. I want you to know that our hope and our desire is that Northridge Church would be a safe place for you and all people who are just looking to find hope in Jesus, to learn who Jesus is in their faith journey. And not only do we welcome you here, we want you here. We desire you to be here. And I would just ask you, You just give me 30 minutes. Don't make a judgment call based on on, on a couple moments of my message, but just listen to the next 30 minutes of it. Or maybe you're here today and you don't define yourself this way. My hope and my prayer is two things for you. The first is that we together would learn to be empathetic and loving towards people walking in this journey. And then secondly, I would bring clarity to what God has to say and how we can defend where God says. And if you don't think this is an issue in our society, let me just share some stats with you. According to the New York Times, the number of young people who identify as transgender has nearly doubled in the last five years. According to Pew Research, about 5% of young adults in the United States say their gender is different from their sex assigned at birth. 
And so if you're really interested in this topic, let me offer you just a great resource before we get rocking and rolling. It's the book called Embodied. It's written by Preston Sprinkle. And it's a great resource. It's a resource that we use to really write some of this sermon. We're also gonna have a podcast today because this topic of gender identity impacts everybody's lives of how we navigate this practically as Christ followers. And so we're gonna have a podcast that kind of walks through that that's released this week. I'd encourage you to listen to it. But when it comes to gender identity, the core issue here is the gap between someone's biological sex and their gender. What culture is telling us now is that biological sex is different than gender. And so let's define how culture defines these terms. Biological sex is the way that you were created or the way you were made. Now, gender is different than that. Gender is how you feel or express yourself. And so as we navigate what culture is saying, it forces us to to navigate, to wrestle with some hard questions, right? What does God say? And and does he make a distinction between gender and sex? And and where does God land in this story? And so one thing you need to know about Northridge Church, again, is if you call this place home, when it comes to controversial, hard topics, the first place that we run to is the word of God. We believe it is our authority on life. And so even if we don't like what it says, even if we disagree, even if it's unpopular, we do not bend on what God's word says. And so let's just navigate it together, right? Three places where I believe God declares how he answers this question. So let's start in Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one, if you don't know much about Genesis, is a book of origins, and we see in Genesis one the creation account of all things. God speaks things into existence and he forms humanity. And Genesis 1, 27 says this, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So again, we, we see the in- intentionality of God. Right, how God, it gives us a window in how God made us. And we talked about God made us in his image, that every human being is made in the image of God and the gravity of that. But before we dive too deep into Genesis 1, I I think we have to understand the context of this passage. And when you read your Bible, it's important to know the context. Right, in Genesis chapter 1, we're talking about a perfect world. A world where sin does not exist. A world where nothing will mar God's creation. And so what we read about here is God's flawless perfection. And what we notice is in the perfect world, God made each and every one of us as male or female. Now, what's fascinating is this is not the only spot this is talked about. Jesus, actually, when he was walking the face of the earth, reiterated this in the New Testament, Matthew 19. We see it when Jesus is tempted by the religious leaders. Look what Jesus says. He says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And so we see God's perfect design here. And out of it, I think we can, we can make two observations. The first observation is this, is that God created you intentionally and your gender or your sex was not a mistake. One thing that I've been trying throughout the series is to draw us all back to the beginning and in God's intentional design for each and every one of you. I mean, it's amazing. God could have easily made us all robots that look alike and act alike, but when you go throughout the world, travel abroad, what you will notice is that we are all different. We look different. That's God's intentional design that he made you in his own image. And God, in his intentionality, made you your sex or your gender, and it wasn't a mistake. 
God purposely designed you that way with a purpose in mind. And so the second observation that we can see based off the Bible is that God doesn't make a distinction between gender and sex. If you were to read from cover to cover of the Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, thousands of pages, here's what you will notice, that the Bible tells a lot of stories. Stories of men and women uses their names. And you want to know what something you will never find in the Bible? Nowhere in Scripture does the person have a different gender pronoun from their sex. When it talks about a man, it refers to them as he. And when it talks about a woman, it refers to her as she. They, They don't change pronouns. Nowhere in the Bible do we see any evidence of gender being different than biological sex. And so God doesn't make a distinction between the two things. But let's go to a different place in the Bible. Psalms 139. Hopefully this passage is a little bit familiar to you if you've been following along in this series. It's kind of our theme verse for this series. A a verse that I would challenge you to memorize, to know, to hide in your heart. Listen to these words. It says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And again, you see God's intricate detail and how he designed us and made us and molded us and formed us. And throughout this series, we've looked at different parts of this, this passage, right? We looked at the part where it says, you, you knit me together, right? This, this process of God slowly, intentionally designing you. We, we looked at the location of that in, in your mother's womb. We looked at that God knew you before you were ever thought of. But again, I want to draw your, your eye to a different part of this passage where, where the scriptures say, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You see, I believe God knew that when sin would enter the picture, each and every one of us would wrestle really difficultly of finding the answer to our true identity, of of answering the question, who am I? But can I tell you that God wants to get you to a place where you can look at yourself and you can say, God, your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. Because when it comes to the question, who am I, ultimately what we're searching for is a place to be accepted, a place to fit in, ultimately a place to find our value. And what God teaches through his word and how he created you is this, and I want you to hear this, you don't have to change yourself to find value. God has already given it to you. If we look at how God created us, if we understand how he formed us, what we would know is we are created in the image of God. And what that does is it gives us a value that absolutely nobody can take away. You don't have to adjust who you are to find acceptance. You don't have to adjust whether you're a male or female to find value because God has already given it to you in the way that he created you. Let me put it to you like this. I think we can all agree that there are moments in in creation that we just get a beautiful view of something scenic and we are just like, wow, that's amazing. 
That's one thing I love about the greater Rochester area is you don't really have to go that far outside the greater Rochester area to be blown away by creation. I mean, we have a huge lake. We have the Finger Lakes right around the corner. We have the changing of seasons. And, and there's so many times in just Rochester area where you can just look at the scenery and be like, man, that's beautiful. And that happened to me just this last week. I know and it's been kind of a crazy winter, right? Where has the snow gone? Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, right? Can I get an amen, right? I'm not complaining, slightly, maybe a little bit. Um, but the other, the other week, we got like three or four inches, and, and in Rochester, that's like not a lot of snow, but it's been a lot of snow, and what I love during winter is when it, the snowfall comes and like the snow hugs all the trees, and you look at, at like the trees and, and, and just the landscape, and, and you look at this white glistening backdrop, and you're just like, that is so beautiful. Wow, creation is amazing. But here's what I know about you and I. When it comes to creation, none of us look in the mirror and are in awe of what God created. Many of us, when we look in the mirror, we don't see beauty, we see flaws. We see flaws in the way our body is shaped, we see flaws in, in the way our personality comes out. We see facial feature flaws. We see all these flaws because our insecurities lie to us and we're not in awe of creation. We're disappointed by creation. And yet the Bible teaches us that when we look in the mirror, what we see is God's best creation. His most valuable creation is not the landscapes. It's not the snow-covered trees. It's you and it's I. It's I. That God, through his creation process, has deemed you valuable. And you don't have to change yourself to find that value. God has already given it to you. And not only in your creation, when it comes to value, ultimately in our culture, what we deem valuable is something that we're willing to pay a lot for. Something that we're willing to give something up to get that thing. That's valuable to us. And when God gave us value and we messed it up, guess what? God paid the ultimate price through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for you to declare to you that you are valuable to God. And so don't miss the value that God has already given you. You don't have to change to earn it or receive it. He's already given it to you. The last place we're going to go to is where we're reminded of who the ultimate potter is. First Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So he's obviously talking to Christians here, people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, who, who have repented from their sins and have claimed Jesus as their Lord. And he says, something miraculous happens when you cross the line of faith, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes and dwells within your body, that your body is the temple of God. And he says, who is in you, whom you have received from God. Listen to this line. He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That how you take care of your body, how you treat your body, is a way you can declare your glory and honor to God because you are not your own. And if we are not our own, then whose are we? Well, the Bible tells us, Paul says this in Romans 14. He says, for none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For we live 
For when we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So here's his summary statement. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Well, if I'm not my own, whose am I? You are the Lord's. And what Paul does is he reminds us of the truth from creation. That that, that we are not the potter. God is. We are the clay. And it is God's job as potter to mold us and make us into who he is creating and designed us to be. That God as potter should have the say in who we are. And any time you and I decide that we want to be the potter, it comes at our own detriment. It leads us to places that are painful and difficult and not good for us. And so the Bible teaches us and leads us to this conclusion when it comes to the question, who am I? That God is the central source of our identity, not us. That if you truly want to find value and acceptance, if you truly want to know who you are, you have to come back to who created you, who designed you, who bought you at a very high price. But I recognize that in the journey of everyday life, we are faced with questions that maybe we're not ready to answer. That the topic of gender identity has forced us into living and adjusting on the fly. And so as we navigate this topic practically, I wanna talk to two different groups of people. The first group of people that I wanna talk to is those of you who would agree with me. That you would agree on my interpretation of the Bible and where God stands on this issue. And yet again, this group can be often frustrating. Because yet again, we, we make the problem usually worse rather than partnering with God to make and bring a solution. It's so easy to tell people what the truth is. It's so easy to shout it from social media, to to shout it at people and actually alienate people from the truth you're trying to lead them to. And so I have two challenges for those of you who agree with me today. The first one is we need to do everything we can to keep our voice with this community. And, And listen, I'm not saying we're gonna bend on the truth. What I am saying is we're gonna care and be patient and loving towards this community. I absolutely love what Preston Sprinkle says. He says this, our truth won't be heard until our grace is felt. If you think about those words, too many Christians today, they are all truth and no grace. We're so quick to shout out the truth in an ungracious way, and here's what happens, is we alienate the very people we're trying to lead to Jesus. We lose our voice. They stop listening to the truth because we've said the truth so much in an arrogant and proud way. And Preston didn't make up this statement. You know who he saw it in? Jesus. If you study Jesus' life, he could have easily, perfectly told everybody how they were wrong. But we don't see that in Jesus. In fact, the area we see that in Jesus was with Christians. It was with religious leaders. He rebuked them and showed grace to the sinner to the one who didn't know any better. And so how do we keep our voice with this community? I wanna talk about three practical ways that we can maybe change the way we live in our relationships. The first one is we have to understand where people stand spiritually. 
In every relationship that you have, you have to understand if someone knows Christ or if they don't. And too many Christians, I don't know why we believe this, but for some reason we expect people far from God to act like God. It doesn't make any sense. And the truth is, is we all need a reminder, the only reason parts of our lives look like God is because of the grace of God over our lives. And so you know what we do as Christians? We just attack behavior. We gotta fix their behavior. We gotta make them see differently. And we're we're missing the point. We don't change behavior, only Christ can. And so our job is to lead people far from God to God so he can do the work that we can't do. And so we don't look at behavior, we lead people's hearts back to Jesus. So we have to understand where people stand spiritually. Secondly, we have to be empathetic by understanding their story. Can I tell you, gender identity is a a little bit of a soft spot in my heart because I have a family member who has completely transitioned. And the truth is, is if you knew some of the details behind the story, it'd give you a little bit more perspective. You see, the truth is, is too many Christians just assume things in ignorance. We draw somebody else's story out when we don't know any of the details. We stereotype people into a box when really there's no box to be putting them in. And if we would just take the time with empathy to listen to people's stories, to understand where they've been, maybe we could help them lead them to where they need to go. Third, we need to let the Holy Spirit be our guide. You know, Paul talks about one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the spirit of God that lives inside of us. When we become a Christian, when we cross that line of faith, God dwells inside of us. And he doesn't dwell inside of us to have a nice cozy place to live. No, he comes inside of us to change us, to mold us, to lead us, to be our guide and our advocate. And when it comes to gender identity, it's gonna force us as Christ followers to answer questions that honestly we're not prepared to answer. To live practically in in a culture that maybe is going a little bit different direction than we are and it forces us to answer questions like, uh, do I affirm their gender or not? Do I use their pronouns or not? Do I use their name change or not? Do I use the unisex bathroom or not? And the list of questions goes on and on and we're we're, kind of jammed into this place where we don't know how to respond and that's why the Holy Spirit is so important in those moments. That we would just listen to God's voice leading us and guiding us. And to be honest, when it comes to these questions, there's really no perfect answer. I'm just going to tell you where I've landed through the the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life. You see, I, I basically lumped it into two categories. If I'm dealing with someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, if I'm interacting with someone who's transgender or non binary and they don't know Christ, I'm going to give them all the grace in the world, I'm going to use their pronoun. I'm going to call them by their name change. I'm going to respect them and where they are for the sake of that relationship so I can love them, care for them, and try my best to lead them to Jesus. But if someone is transgender or non-binary and they claim the name of Jesus Christ, I'm again going to show them grace and respect, but I'm probably going to get to the truth quicker. I'm probably going to challenge where they stand a little bit faster because they claim the name of Jesus. And listen, you might completely disagree with those stances, and that's okay because there's no perfect answer in this situation. 
But we have to do our best as Christians to keep our voice within the community, to love and care for them by understanding where they stand spiritually, by being empathetic and letting the Spirit of God guide us in our words. The second challenge I have for those of you who agree with me is we need to guard and teach our children the truth. Parents, grandparents, It is your job to disciple your kids, not the churches. It is your job to teach your children the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for us. We will partner with you, we will come alongside you, we will resource you in every way we can. But we need to teach our kids the truth of the scriptures so when, the, when culture blows and when the winds of life hit, our kids are rooted in the rock of Jesus Christ that doesn't move. And here's the truth that we're learning through statistics and we're learning through research is when it comes to difficult conversations, we have to have them sooner than we really want to. We have to have some really awkward and hard conversations with our kids because we can no longer live in the box like, oh, my kid doesn't know that. No, they do. And here's here's what we're learning about research is the first person to bring up the topic in a kid's mind becomes the expert. And so if it's not you, it's a teacher or a classmate or a friend or another parent in a child's mind, whoever broaches the topic first becomes the expert. And if they're the expert, that's where the kids are going to go and ask questions. Parents, we need to be the experts. We need to teach our kids the truth. We need to protect them. And when I say protect them, I don't mean run. I don't mean hide from the world. So many Christians, their solution to this problem is to hide from the world that God has called us to reach. The Bible says that we should be in the world, but not of the world, that we should go and make disciples of all nations, and so we still need to be a part of the world, but we need to protect and guide our children. I love what Deuteronomy 6 says. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Mom and dad, if they're not on your hearts, don't expect them to be on your kids' hearts. And listen to these words, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them down on your door frames and your houses and on your gates. And so if you're here and you agree with me, let's keep our voice with this community by showing them how much we care and let's guide and protect and teach our children the truth. But maybe you're here today and honestly you feel a little bit of frustration. Maybe a little bit of anger towards me because you don't agree with where I land. Maybe you don't agree with my interpretation of scriptures or maybe you just don't feel like gender identity is wrong at all. And again, if that's you, I just don't buy the lie in our culture that we, if we disagree, we can't care for each other, we can't be friends, we can't love each other. I just don't buy that. And if you disagree with me today, can I tell you, Northridge Church is still a great place. We want you here to learn about Jesus and follow in your faith journey. And so if you disagree with me today, I just want to tell you one thing. Don't let a hateful Christian speak for a loving God. You see, in society today, there are a lot of people who claim to speak for Jesus that don't really sound a whole lot like Jesus. And if you're here today and you're transgender, 
you're non-binary, I just want to say sorry for the way people have treated you. I want to say sorry for the judgment that you have felt, the hate that you have had to endure, the harsh words that you've had to try to navigate, because none of that is accurate to who Jesus is. Don't let one or many Christians' mistakes shape how you define who God is. Don't let the hate and the judgment and the harsh words of some Christians allow you to dictate that must be who God is, because it's not. And if you're in the journey of struggling with your gender identity, at some level I feel for you because you turn and you, you just want somebody to talk to, someone to help you navigate this journey, this tr- pursuit of who you are, and you feel like everywhere you turn, there's hate and judgment. Man, we want Northridge Church to be a safe place where you can wrestle with anything and everything. And so if you just want somebody to talk with, a safe place to express what you're going through, where you land, what you are dealing with, we want to offer that to you here. And so if that's you, you can just go to a simple website. It's iwant.info. And at that website, right at the top, you'll find a banner that says, I'm wrestling with my gender identity. And they'll ask you to fill out some information, and here's what you need to know. Your privacy truly matters to us. And so that response will only go to one person. His name is Adam Cogden. He's our pastor of counseling. He'll reach out to you. He'll follow up with you, and he'll help you navigate that journey. He'll provide a safe place for you just to express what you're going through, and he'll allow you to lead that journey. But I have great news today. In the midst of a hard and difficult and controversial topic, it'd be nice to end with some really awesome news. And that news is true for everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, what you struggle with, what you've done. The great news is today, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. If you're here today and you're transgender, God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. If you're a businessman or a businesswoman, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. If you're gay, God loves you and wants a relationship with you. If you're heterosexual, a mom or a dad, God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. If you're an addict here today, God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. That is great news for all of us. But if you accept that great news, it does come with some bad news. If you're to accept Jesus' work on the cross, dying in your place to pay for your sin and his resurrection that gave you the victory over your sin, if you're willing to accept Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the bad news is, is you have to die to your way. You have to die to your will. You have to die to, to what you want and what you desire and your agenda. Because when you accept Jesus as Lord, you let go of the reins of your way and your desires and your agenda to follow his. So the great news is God loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. And if you accept that, you got to let go of your way and your will. But the best news is, if Jesus is your Lord you will know exactly who 
you are. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet and a guide unto our path. And God, my hope today is that as we talked about a difficult conversation that people would have to wrestle with the truth, not the way I presented it. My prayer is that in this church, whether you agree with me or not, that you would feel the grace of God, that you would feel the love of this community that is for you and cares about you. And our hope and our prayer is not that we would all act a certain way. Our prayer and our hope is that we would all walk with Jesus. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.